And, you know, they, in their world, they're just taken to somewhere else, and they eat different food now and stuff like that. And so w- when you're thinking about them, you got the, the uh, prayer bookmark, um, pray for them. Pray for the kids. Let that be included in, in the process of, of what you're doing because these kids are, are also going over there. So to think about that too. Uh, we did have, I, I didn't see uh, Robin Brooke here this morning. Um, Brooke had a baby this last week. I don't know why she's not at church. <clears throat> I guess she doesn't love Jesus anymore. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, there's very few people I've seen that was ready to have a baby as much as Brooke was ready to have a baby. And, uh, but um, uh, you can get all the details. Again, uh, is about yay, about that heavy, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, but you can get all the details from the family. I, I did say hello to uh, Grandpa Marcus this morning because uh, they're brand new grandparents. And that, that's a different world, right? It's a different thing. All of a sudden, your people are calling you Grandma and Grandpa and stuff like that. And you love it. You don't realize until then, you love that. And so we also, uh, Luke and Kate came back this weekend too. We were excited about that. Are you guys moving back here? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, so, so uh, Richard knows. Richard, our, Richard's our administrative assistant. He knows that the moment Kate moves back here, he no longer has a job. <laughs> um, w- one thing I also wanted to mention, the uh, bike riders, uh, Daniel was in first service, but uh, Josh and Liz, I saw Liz somewhere. Where, where did she go? Are they, are they out? Smoking a cigarette or something? I don't know what. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. Uh, so Daniel, Josh, and Liz uh, rode in our Speed of Light bike ride. I couldn't because I broke my collarbone. I was very disappointed in this. I look forward to that ride every year. And, but uh, the, the overall ride, so there was, you know, our three from here. But this was Colorado and Utah on our churches in both the states. And uh, about 25 riders, somewhere around there, is, is how many that rode. And uh, to this point, it, they, they raised around 92,000, 93,000 um, for that. And that's for Speed the Light, which gives uh, vehicles and resources to missionaries. That's where the missionaries get their vehicles from, car, boat, donkey, whatever they need. Uh, they get those. You'd think I'm joking, but we've, we've bought donkeys. Our we have specifically, our church has specifically bought donkeys uh, for, for missionaries and boats and all kinds of things. And so that's, that's where they get that. And uh, this is just a great ride. Part of the reason I'm saying this is because I think some of you, some more of you could ride it next year. Um, you think, well, I, I can't ride 100 miles. Uh, you might be surprised at what you can do. I wouldn't suggest you starting at 100. Um, come talk to me. We can get you on a plan, but we can have you ready easily by next year. Easily. We can have you ready in a month to ride 100 miles, and then you ra- get to raise money for missions. Linda said she's riding next year. <clears throat> so, yeah. Believe in Linda. Okay, so this, this morning I want to talk about decisions and how decisions add up to other decisions that add to other decisions, and it, and it produces you. <clears throat> you are a product of decisions. Now, that's not real popular in today's society. We don't like to think like that. We, think, we like to think like we're a product of a bad home life, or we're a product of a bad society, or we're a product of, of uh, systemic racism, and all these, these goofy things that society does. But basically, the bottom denominator of all these is, I'm not responsible. Somebody else is responsible. Somebody's responsible for the plight that I'm in, uh, whatever it is. And that's just not reality. There is, you, you, you are uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of decisions that have accumulated to create where you are and what you're doing and how you're doing it. Now, there is a, part of the reason I say it that way is because there is a, a um, there is some church thinking that comes if, if their roots are Calvinism, they have a mentality of what's called predestination and that everything is going to just happen. And uh, 
I don't believe that. I don't even, I, I think that's so far off base of what scripture says. Um, but there, there are church mentalities that believe that. And I believe the reason it's so easy to believe that is because then we're not responsible. If something happens, well, that's just the way it was meant to be. And that's, that's crazy. We, you know, you, you can take about five seconds of your life and realize um, you have free will. You make decisions. Therefore, there is no predestination mentality. God didn't order everything. Um, there are things that God has ordered, and those things happen, like creation. God ordered that. It happened. Jesus down on the cross. God ordered that. It happened. Um, but all of the pieces of that puzzle... All of the, the things that are the extenuating circumstances and all the stuff, those things are decisions, decisions that we make. Why do you live where you live? Well, you made decisions. Why do you have the job you have? You made decisions. Why are you married to the person you're married to? You made decisions. In fact, this is one of the things that I actually find interesting in, in life and kind of, I guess, anthropologically, is how, how do people arrive at certain conclusions? And one of the biggest for me is relationships. How did you meet your spouse? I'm always interested in that. that is, that's one of those stories where I, I want to know that story. How did you meet your spouse? Because I have never found one that I go, oh, that's boring. They're all unique. They're all, and, and here's one of the things that I've found over the years, that um, one of the people in the marriage liked the other one a long time before that person responded. That's pretty consistent. Very rarely do you just turn and glance at each other and go, oh, and you like each other. Right? Um, somebody will say, well, I watched them for years. That's called stalking, by the way. But <clears throat> I had binoculars. I had... But, but those things are interesting. How did you get, how did you get to where you, you're living? Like, well, I... I Grew up and I was raised in Colorado Springs. Well, that's, there's not a lot of people that were actually raised in Colorado Springs. That's, that's not reality. There's, an, there's not that many people actually that were born and raised in Colorado. That happens, but uh, most of the people in Colorado weren't born and raised here. So how did you get here? How did, those are interesting stories. Those are decisions. Some of the decisions you made, some you didn't, but somewhere along the line you began to make the decisions too. The job that you have. How did you get that job? Decisions. How did you lose your last job? Decisions. A lot of decisions that we make, and that culminates into who we are, how we think, how we process. All of that's part of the subject. Um, one of the series that I do every now and then has to do with filters, the way we look at life, the filters through which life passes from to us, from out there, and all the ways we look at it. Somebody hears a sentence, somebody else hears a sentence, and they hear them totally different. Because of what? Filters, life, decisions, all this kind of stuff. So I told you I was going to talk to you about my, <clears throat> my bike crash. So I'm going to tell you the details of my bike crash, okay? So here, here is, um, here's what happened. First, I was going too fast. That was, that was the uh, beginning of uh, this. I was going too fast, and I've been up and down this uh, same path, same place, over and over many times. Uh, Josh and I were riding together, and, um, and I, but, but there's been a lot of rain, a lot of stuff this year that we're not used to, up, uh, and specifically at some of these elevations and where this stuff is happening. A, a lot of extra rain, a lot of extra washout and stuff like that. And so uh, even though I was familiar with the, with the route we were taking, it was different because a lot of the, the topsoil and stuff had been washed off, and there's a lot of extra rocks and, um, and roots and all kinds of stuff like that. And then also across, going across would be washouts, where before it's smooth, dirt, and then now you're riding, and then it'll be maybe this deep, and about that wide will be a washout, and it'll get wider and deeper as it goes toward the edge of the mountain, whichever direction that is, and... And, um, and for most of this ride, it was all, it's all the washouts going to the right. <clears throat> and so it's going too fast. I come around the corner, and immediately, as, as, I'm, it, as I'm turning, making this right turn around the corner, immediately I realize by looking at it, my line is over here. 
where I should be writing, that's what I mean by line, is there is, you can have a lot of lines, but there's the right line or the best line. And immediately I recognize I'm going this way and my line is right over here. And, uh, and so, I, and I realize as I'm doing this that if I keep going the way I'm going, it gets really worse over here. The washout gets deeper and wider and then turns into a bunch of rocks and all kinds of stuff. And uh, as I come around the corner, I see my line. I think, okay, maybe if I break a little bit, I can, I can get, I can slow down enough to maybe skid over toward that and at least catch part of that line, which is a lot less rough. Washouts, not as deep, all this other kind of stuff. And we're just, we I mean, we're going over dozens of these washouts. We're just jumping over them. That's, it's not difficult to do. And so you're just popping over these washouts. Um, I, as I start to break to get over to my line, my back tire locks up, and now I start sliding sideways. My back tire comes around, and I'm sliding like this, which is now more difficult. Um, I, I do have lower back problems. There, it's muscular. As long as I'm doing exercises and stuff like that, it minimizes it, but, I, but my lower back hurts. In fact, most weekends after I'm speaking, um, my back hurts. Uh, it hurts going down the steps, sitting down in my car, my back hurts. Uh, that's pretty regular. That's, that's also part of the reason why I move so much, because it helps with my back. Well, my back was hurting that day, and, and um, as, I come, as my wheel starts sliding sideways, I realize because my back is so tight and my muscles so tight, I'm not going to be able to jump up and turn and get over this washout, which by that time is pretty, pretty wide as it goes down this way. And so all this happens within about a second, second and a half, and I realize this is bad. And so I try to start to turn the bike and kind of jump, and I hit that uh, washout. Immediately, my bike stops. Well, I'm not finished. Stop. <laughs> so it bends my front tire. I mean, wheel pops the tire and just throws me over the handlebars. Well, I was going so fast. I've had a lot of wrecks over the years where I go over the handlebars. If you mountain bike any length of time at any kind of difficulty, you're going you're gonna to wreck. That's just going to be part of the deal. Um, most of them, you just get some road rash and you move on. Um, but you kind of learn how to fall. It actually is, I think it's subconscious. But <clears throat> I've been over the handlebars many times. You just kind of roll, you stand up, and then you complain about, you know, the road rash a little bit. But this, I, w I was going so fast that as soon as I hit, it just threw me directly over onto the ground. I hit very, very hard. I hit back here on the back of my head and down my shoulder. And I haven't mentioned the fact that the whole left side of my body was road rash, and I have a hematoma in my hip. Right now, as I'm speaking, my hip is hurting worse than my uh, collarbone because I have a big swelled-up area like this that's been there now. This will be three weeks uh, that it's been there. So, so I hit the ground really hard, and immediately, immediately I knew I had broke my collarbone. Uh, as I hit, I feel it pop. I feel it just snap right here, uh, which, by the way, is extremely painful. <clears throat> uh, I feel it snap is not the best way to describe that. Uh, and and uh, that's right in there is where I begin to moan and, 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 uh, and just hurt <laughs> deeply. All right, so Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to get back to that story in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 10. Decisions. One decision leads to another, leads to another and becomes a broken collarbone. So, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Now, this is always interesting to me. I've brought this out at different times before. Jesus, basically, the, the 12 disciples are there, and he goes, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. You guys are going to go out, and you're going to cast out demons, and you're going to heal the sick on three. Ready, break, and they go. Do you, do you realize the context there is something that is, that is completely opposite or foreign of the way we would look at anything in American Christianity? Jesus just told them, now go cast out demons. They had been seeing Jesus do it. It's not like they didn't have an example. But he, he wasn't saying, if you feel it, if the spiritual moment arises, if we've had enough worship ahead of time, there's none of that kind of stuff. Jesus said, okay, you're going to go cast out demons, and you're going to go heal the sick. And then he expected them to do that. Which, by the way, I don't think it's any different for us in our society today. 
I think we're supposed to go cast out demons and heal the sick. And part of the reason we know that is Jesus tells us, go preach the gospel and these signs will follow. And those are the signs. So he just tells them, go do this. One of the things that I think we struggle with in American Christianity is we don't really even think there are demon-possessed people. And there are, and they're around you all the time. In fact, one of the guys, we were just, uh, Lynn and I were just at a pastor's conference in San Diego. We got back last night. And uh, this is for uh, Turning Point USA, which is Charlie Kirk's group. And it's for pastors. And uh, the guy that is local here, a regional guy, for Turning Point is the one that we've developed a relationship, and he's the one who convinced us to go and do all this kind of stuff. And he was telling us a little bit of his testimony of um, when he used to be a drug dealer, and he uh, and his girlfriend was a Satanist, and she would cast spells on him and do all this stuff. And he was talking to us about the uh, when he was possessed with demons, and he knew he was. And, and he would see, he would, it, was like, it was like he said he was in the background watching himself do things and say things and different voices and all this other kind of stuff. And he said, I was trapped. I didn't, I didn't want this, but I was trapped. And, and we talked about this, that, that decision after decision after decision was what got him to that place. L- let me give you one of the easiest ones that we don't process in today's society. We just completely leave this out. When, when you... When you start taking drugs, the concept of taking drugs to get high, that kind of mentality, you're opening the door. That is a spiritual endeavor you're doing. It's not a physical endeavor first. It becomes physical, but it's spiritual first. Why? Because nobody sits down the very first time and says, I think I'm going to uh, smoke this or take this or shoot this up because I want a physical change or because I want a physical something. They say, I don't like feeling this way. I don't want to think this way. I want something to drown that out. The same concept that an alcoholic does. That's not, when it begins, it's not alcohol physically. It's I'm choosing this to fix something emotionally and spiritually. So what you're doing is you open a spiritual door. Well, there really are such things as demons. And they really do uh, take over people's lives, right? And Jesus says to these guys, Go cast demons out. And they just, okay, boss, and they do it. That's, that is so different than the way we look at anything spiritual. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and, and, zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Do you realize that Judas's descriptor here is what he's going to do? It's not like who he's related to or a different name or something. It's, it's what he's going to do, that he's going to betray, betray Jesus. But here is part of the deal. Do you realize that when they went out and cast out demons and healed the sick, Jesus was part of that group? Jesus does this basically three times. Some people think it's two. But he sends the 12 out. Judas is part of that. He sends a 70 out. Judas is part of that. And then he sends a 72. Some people think that the 70 and 72 are the same event. They're not. Look at the details around it. So three different times, Jesus intentionally sends these guys out, and Judas is part of the group every time, and he casts out demons, and he heals the sick. So how does Judas get from going out and casting out demons and healing the sick to the guy that betrays Jesus? How does he get to that point? A lot of choices, a lot of decisions, deciding who he's going to be, deciding who he thinks Jesus is. These are choices. Luke chapter 22, verse 1. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus. But they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Now, this is important that we understand this theologically. That didn't happen against Judas's will. Satan cannot enter your life. This is important. You've got to know this. Satan cannot enter your life unless you let him. It's important that we see that because I think sometimes we feel powerless against Satan. You're not powerless. You, you, You actually have the ability to make choices. So you can make these choices. 
Judas was making choices that allowed Satan to enter into his existence. And here's another one. This comes back kind of that predestination mentality. That some people believe that God created Judas to do this. God created Judas to betray Jesus. He did not. That somebody was going to betray Jesus. It didn't have to be Judas. Judas allowed this to happen. Sometimes the way, the way we look at Scripture... Well, that, that, person, that, that person was going to do that anyway. That, that's not true. Look at, look at how many times in Scripture that we see God gave them a choice. God let them choose. Do you choose this? Do you choose this? Do you... The same thing He does with us. He gives you choices. Every single day you make, you make hundreds and hundreds of choices. Some of them are bigger type of choices. But really, I think the culmination of who we are is actually from the... the uh, multiple small choices that we make and we don't even realize it. This choice, this choice, this choice, until the point where uh, we, we almost set ourselves up to make bad choices. The big ones because of all the other stuff. So Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, <clears throat> who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priest. Now he made a choice. When it says he went, he got up and made a choice. He got up and went somewhere. He was choosing every single bit of this. He went to the leading priest and captains, captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. Before he got up and went, he was deciding what he was going to discuss with them. And he was making a decision, I'm going to betray, uh, to betray Jesus. Making a choice. You're choosing. Every single day you choose things. You choose things. I, I've had... Um, I've had people in different, different stages of life that talk about, well, I wish I could have, and then they say something. I wish I, I, wish I could have spent more time with my kids. I wish I could have uh, done this. I wish I, and it's amazing to me that, that people say that, but they're still in life and still making choices at that moment. Right? For example, you say, oh, my kids are already turning teenage years, and I haven't spent... Uh, the time that I need with them. Okay? So make a decision to do that. Just make a decision. Choose that. You don't have to, con- just because you say, well, I haven't spent enough time with my kids, start choosing that. Okay, if you, it doesn't matter if your kid's 40 years old. You say, I really didn't spend much time with my kids. Start doing it. it I mean, that... It's weird how we just continue to make bad decisions. Instead of taking responsibility for it, make bad decisions, take responsibility for it. And then do something. Change something. Right now, today, you can make changes in your life. You can make big changes, small changes, but you can make changes right now. And then you can compound those. It's like interest compounds. That's the way banks get wealthy, by the way. Well, that's the way you can be the most successful is let your decisions compound into the next decision. And pretty soon you've made a lot of the right decisions. But you've got to intentionally decide that. They were delighted, the the, uh, leading priests and captains of the temple guard. They were delighted and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to portray Jesus betray Jesus, I keep saying that wrong, so that they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. This is interesting to me. That, so Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, right? Um, I didn't really understand that. I was a kid. I heard the, the uh, Petra song, Judas Kiss, and all of a sudden I understood the whole concept by one of them crazy Christian rock songs. Um, understood the whole Judas Kiss thing. But Judas betrays him with a kiss. Everybody knew who Jesus was. This, this part is confusing to me. But see, this is how Satan weaves what he does, is he wants others to be trapped and complicit in the problems. He wants to use them. And the leading priests loved the fact that one of their own, one of Jesus' own, would, would um, fracture off and be used by Satan. They loved this. And so they used him. And, and, then, and then Judas does, does this by a kiss. Judas could have done this a lot of different ways, right? He said, there he is, something like that. But instead, he goes up and kisses Jesus on the cheek. And here's the, here's the most horrible thing about it. Jesus knew what he was doing. Man, 
These are decisions, decisions, decisions. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man, Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. This was not too much uh, earlier, this was just a few weeks earlier, <clears throat> that Lazarus was dead and then he wasn't. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are going to have a nice dinner. They're already, they were already very good friends with Jesus, but they're amazed at this miracle and the fact that, that um, Lazarus gets to be part of the dinner. That's a pretty good miracle moment, right? And so they're excited about this. Mary served, and uh, Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary, I'm sorry, Martha served. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. This is like a Coke can. That's 12 ounces. A expensive per perfume made from the essence of nard. That doesn't sound like it smells good, but I looked it up, and it's a plant that smells good. Because to me, if, I, if somebody said to me, you smell like nard, I'd be mad. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. Why? Because her brother is a sitting there at the dinner. This is not a casual thing. Her brother was dead, and now he's sitting there. And so she takes this whole bottle of perfume, and this is part of the, the, the burial mentality for Jesus, too. I mean, there's a bunch of spiritually significant things here. The house was filled with the fragrance, but Judas... Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. John doesn't play around when he says things. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Those are choices. Every one of these are choices. When Ju Jesus chose Judas to be a disciple, Judas had not stolen any of the disciples' money yet. He had not stolen any of the money that was being given to Jesus for the, the ministry that Jesus was doing. Judas made decisions and then compounded those decisions, stacked on those decisions. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. And, and he still doesn't get it. None of them are really getting it. But Judas, you don't realize what you're doing. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I've always been intrigued by that statement. You'll always have the poor among you. Um, you, you realize that no matter where you are in the world and what time in history, there's always going to be a line, a financial line, that if you're below that line, you're considered poor. And if you're above that line, you're considered rich. In any setting, in any country, it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have in relationship to somebody else. In any setting, even in, even in a community, cities, there would be a line that would be below it, you're poor, above it, you're rich. Okay? You take most of society in all of history and you compare it to America right now, uh, every American is in the rich category. Even the poor Americans are rich compared to other people in other places around the world and definitely over history and time. The, the idea that, that, um, that somehow we're ever going to do away with poverty doesn't make sense because you're always going to have that line. It doesn't matter. Um, if you're confused by what I'm saying or disagree with it, come talk to me. I can explain it to you in more detail. But you're always going to have poor people and you're always going to have rich and you're always going to have something else. That's the way economies work. Not everybody can be rich. If everybody has $100, the moment one person spends one and they have 99, they're poor. That's, that's how economies work. And Judas is stealing in this, whatever this economy was that they're living by, Judas is stealing. And here's the interesting thing is he's stealing from Jesus, stealing from the Holy Spirit. He's making decisions. He's making choices. So let me give you the rest of my bike story because I know you've been waiting. <clears throat> so part of, the, part of the deal with coming up to this bike ride this year was I have not been in as good of shape bicycling as I have in other times. 
And, um, and I take pride in my ability to ride a bike well. And the key word here is pride. And so um, it's been irritating me this year because I've been so busy, and this is not an excuse, although I'm going to use it, is, but since I went to the legislature in January, I haven't slowed down. And, it's, and I'm still just as busy right now. I thought it'd be a much easier after I got out of session, but I, I'm always doing something, and I'm just busy. And so I haven't been able to be in shape that I need to be for the ride. And I noticed that. I've, ride in some, I've ridden some rides, done some things. I knew I was going to be able to do fine on the 100 mile. I knew that because I'd gone out and I'd already ridden uh, 70 miles of the track. I knew where the track was going to be, and I rode 70 miles. I was very comfortable. Didn't I didn't even... Uh, Half time, I wasn't even breaking a sweat, that kind of thing. I knew I was going to be fine for the 100 mile. But my problem was I had ridden a couple of times with uh, Pastor Josh this year. And he was running off and leaving me. And that doesn't, hasn't happened before. And it was hurting my ego. And so I was trying to get out and get into better shape, um, so that I, so that I, I'm the one who should be in the lead. That's, and it, and it wasn't happening. And so, so the, the day we were riding, my bike had been getting really, my back had been getting really tight because I'm also not doing my exercise and stretching like I'm supposed to and working out the same because I don't have the time and I'm just squeezing these bike rides in. And so I, um, I had, had, ridden a couple weeks before with um, Josh and Liz and Isaac, and Josh just left us sitting there. And, uh, I mean, I beat Liz and Isaac, but <laughs> Josh was up there, so it don't matter. It doesn't matter who you beat. It's matter who beats you. And so it was irritating, so I've been working for about a week and a half since then, and I was really doing better. We went out to ride. I was doing much better. Um, on the climb, staying with Josh for the most part, and uh, doing better, but my back was getting tight. We rode around on some flat areas after we had done this big climb that we used for training. And then um, turn around to come back. My back is hurting. As you come down, it takes more core muscles coming down than it does going uphill. And so my back's getting tighter and tighter because you're trying to hover and you're going over rocks and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and Josh had been kind of getting ahead of me. Now, here's part of the reason was because he has a new bike. And uh, he has a, he, he does. He had just got it. It has a different kind of gear ratio. They've, they've actually changed technologies, changed gear ratios. Instead of having the big gears on the front and the little ones in the back, they've reversed that now on more modern, brand new mountain bikes. And his is also what's called a 29er, 29-inch wheels. They climb easier than my 26-inch wheels. And so he was ahead of me some uh, on this. And then going downhill, he's got a better suspension than he used to have. And so he's going faster downhill. And because of my back was, I'm a little bit of a hard time staying with him, which has never happened. And this is irritating me. Beyond what you could imagine, it's irritating me. So we stopped about four, three or four miles, probably four miles from the bottom. We stopped and... Um, I'm stretching my back, trying to get it feel better, and I finally can feel it relax a little bit. And Josh was over there in a the creek washing his head and doing some things. And, and so I said, well, let's get this over with. We got, you know, four miles left. So I get on my bike, and I'm starting to get ready, and he's walking toward his bike. And then he says, um, go ahead, I'll catch up. <clears throat> that is very disrespectful. <laughs> and I can't tell you how much at that moment that irritated me. I mean, like, you're fired, leave. That kind of irritation. And, uh, but it just did. And then, and then he also, he said, well, I'll catch up. <laughs> and, he, and he laughed a little bit. And, I, man, that, man, that irritated me. So... So my back is better now. I'm stretching it out. And so I get on my bike, and I think, you're not catching me. There, you, it, it's going to be a very cold day in a very hot place before you catch me today. And so that's why later on, a couple miles later, I am going way too fast. 
and I couldn't make the turn. I couldn't do the stuff because I was going too fast. And I knew when I got on my bike and I, and I said to myself, I didn't say it to Josh, but I said to myself, you're not catching me. I knew I was putting myself in danger because I was going to ride too fast. And this, this road, this path was not, it, it was in very bad shape. It was much worse than normal. And I knew that and I still decided um, he's not going to catch me. And he didn't. <laughs> I got to the crash way before he did. <laughs> and, uh, and I hit that ground so hard, and I'm laying there, and I'm holding, because I knew I broke it, and I'm laying there, and I'm holding my arm, and I'm just sitting there, and then my bike's over there, and I crash and slid a little ways, and, and I'm sitting there, and then I hear Josh coming around in the corner, and then finally he comes, it's like 45 minutes later, he comes <laughs> on, the, on the correct line. And uh, as, as I hear him, and I kind of catch him out of the corner of my eye, coming over here behind me to, to see, the first thing I thought was, that's right, I got here first. <laughs> so here's the reality. Scripture says, pride Goeth before a broken collarbone. <laughs> the only reason I was going as fast as I would is because I let pride get in there. I let, how dare him. And, and see, here's part of the problem. This is kind of a mentality that I hear this stuff every night. When, when Linda took a picture of me in the hospital and sent it out, I started getting text message after text message. And almost every one of them, and many of them were from people here in this room. And, and most of the time, the starting few sentence, the starting few words were, um, you know you're getting too old for this. If you texted that, I have prayed judgment on your life. That's mean. But, but here's the thing is, I really did let... I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to equate what I did as Jesus being betrayed by Judas, okay? I'm not. But I do know that when you let pride get in, it, it messes with other decisions, I couldn't make the right decisions when I got to the bad place where I wrecked because I'd already made a decision. I'd already made a decision that I'm traveling way too fast because I had made that decision based upon one thing. He is not going to beat me down this mountain. That's, I, and I've not thought that before. It's not like when I'm riding before that I'm like, well, I'm not going to let Josh beat me. He's just never been able to. I'm not kidding. He will tell you that. But here's the problem is I knew he could this time. I knew he could. And that irritated me. That bothered me about me. And I let pride get involved. And that's why I couldn't make the right decisions later because I already made the bad decision. As we do this in our life, we make bad decisions. And sometimes when we make a big enough bad decision... There are other decisions that become compounded quickly into that. And it makes it very difficult for us to get into the right place and make the right decision. So what's driving our decisions? It should be God, right? We know that. We all know that. But then we make bad decisions that are not about God. You know, I've been getting so many questions about this text and all kinds of different things. And at this conference that I was at, um, I could hear people talking about this, but the news had come out this last week that um, uh, Christy Noam, the governor of South Dakota, uh, was, uh, it was uncovered that she'd been having an affair for years and years, okay? And uh, a few days before that, some of the video clips and stuff about uh, Lauren Bolbert came out, and she was fondling a guy that wasn't her husband, and she's separating from her husband, and vaping in a building, you're not supposed to be doing that, just breaking the law and all this kind of stuff. And um, these kind of things irritate me because when you, when you have people that are taking good, strong, Christian, conservative stands, people are watching them. And when they fall, it, it sounds louder than when other people fall. And uh, Lynn and I were talking about it. The, the reason that these things happen is because people don't fear God. They, don't, they make decisions that are based upon self, and they're not fearing the Lord. When you fear God, you act different, you think different, you walk different, your attitude is different. Everything 
is different. Why? Because you fear God. When you take time off from fearing God, which is not possible, you just, you just aren't fearing God. But when you take time off and you do something, it's going to be compounded, compounded. Why? Because Satan is going to guarantee that it is. And the, the reason that Judas could get to the place he was is because he had made bad decisions. And he had let pride and he had let greed and all kinds of other issues come into the scenario. The first thing here is that decisions set direction. They don't just, it's not just a moment in time. They set direction. You are now going a direction because of a decision that you made. And we don't think like that because there's, it can be so easy to have just, well, these are just a bunch of casual decisions. But have you ever um, came home from work and you gripe at the spouse or the kids and there's not a legitimate reason? It's because there's other things that happen before that that build up and build up. And, and most of the time we're choosing some of these things or a lot of these things. Now, I know there's times when things happen that are not our choosing, but most, overwhelmingly most of life, are, are our decisions, right? Titus chapter 1, verse 15, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences have been, are corrupted. Somewhere you go from pure to this corruption, it's not instantaneous. There's decisions along the way. If your mind is pure, you're going to think pure things. If your decisions are based upon the Lord, you're going to think that way. If they're not, you won't. When it comes to time to make a decision, you're going to be making the wrong decision because you've already compounded the foundation of that. And it leads to wrong decisions. You, you can get caught up easily in these things in any area of life. In any area of life, you can compound these things. Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. That's a, that's a very big chasm between this pure and what Jesus is describing here through, through Paul and Titus. But, so the second thing, we make intentional, we must make intentional God decisions. And this is where you've, you, the intentional is important. You've got to constantly be making sure that you're guarding yourself, guarding your mind, you're guarding your heart, your decisions, and everything else. Because a decision can lead to a decision can lead to a decision. Um, this is something, I pick on this sometimes, but uh, we do this with our, our staff around here. We don't um, counsel people of the opposite sex by ourselves uh, behind closed doors. We just don't do that. Why? It's not because, it's not because we don't trust either one of those people. It's because you don't ever want to do one thing that can lead to another thing that can lead to another thing, and then pretty soon you're making bad decisions that could destroy your marriage, your family, hurt the church, all kinds of things like that. Just, just way back over here, just make a decision. I've said this to teenagers for years and years, decades. You don't decide how far you're going to go on a date in the car parked in a field at 11 o'clock at night. That's not when you decide where your boundaries are, right? The same with us. We don't decide. You don't, you don't go into the bar and decide, well, I'm going to figure out whether I'm going to drink or how much I'm going to drink once I get in there. No, you just don't go in there. You make sure that your decisions are made way before then, and they lead to the lead to the next decision, next decision, until you're making right decisions in all the circumstances. We... we we're, we're not very good about this as human beings. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Acts 1.18. Judas had bought a field with the money he had received for his treachery. Falling head first there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Al-Kadama, which means field of blood. Matthew 27 verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die... He was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down, down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury. Who, who are the people that gave him the coins? 
these leading priests. They said, it wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, which is where it came from, since it was payment for murder. They paid for murder. Judas betrays Jesus. They, They murder Jesus. And now they're like, well, that's tainted money. We can't touch that. You tainted it. You gave it. But now they can't use it because it's, it's murder money. Ah. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That's why the field is called the field of blood. This fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel. That's Jesus. Jesus' value was 30 pieces of silver and purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. Did Judas have to die? Did Judas have to hang himself? No. Did Judas have to betray Jesus? No. And, and if there's somewhere you've read it or been taught or whatever that Judas had to do that, you don't understand free will. Judas didn't have to do any of this. Nothing. He made decisions along the way. And Peter made some of the same concept of decisions. He betrayed Jesus, didn't he? And the difference is, is Peter repented and Judas did not. It's the only difference. Well, some people say, well, Judas did it for money. Well, I guess he was smarter than Peter. The only difference is Judas did not repent. And guys, that leads me to the last part of this, repent and serve God. That's the right decision, repent and serve God. It seems like it's so overly simple, right? But, but it's because it is. We're the ones who make it hard. We're the ones who make it difficult. Whatever is going wrong in your life right now, whatever you know, you're making bad decisions, repent and let God take over. That's all you have to do. We, we, we see this in all kinds of different um, sin categories. We, we make decision, make decision, make decision, make decision, and then it leads to um, abortion. But do you realize that with one decision after that, you can be forgiven and the blood of Jesus covers you and breaks you free from that? You can have hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, all this stuff, decision after decision after decision, but you can break free from that with one decision. Jesus, forgive me and help me forgive others. You can break free from that. We compound our decisions But it's amazing how redemptive God can be instantaneously with a decision. Why don't you stand with me? So what, what should we do? The answer is we make the decision. Jesus, I need you. Whatever, whatever is Whatever is uh, out of balance in your life, whatever's wrong, whatever's happening, all you have to do right now is just say, okay, Jesus, I make a decision. I'm going to give this to you. I repent, which means you're going to turn the other direction. I give this to you, Jesus, and you make me clean. It really is as simple as that. Let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. We surrender ourselves to you. That Jesus, you truly are the king of everything. Jesus, you have the ability to forgive us completely. You have the ability to to change us. You can breathe on us and fill us with your spirit. Lord, help us to make a right decision right now. All the different things going on in, in every one of our lives in this room. God, help us to make the right decision. Lord, some some people need to fix some things. Some people need to change some things, whatever it is. Lord, you do what you've got to do. You, you do the supernatural stuff. We thank you. Because you're the king, Jesus. You're the king. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, let me just ask you real quick. How many of you are saying, I, I really do need to change something? Something needs to be different in life. Just raise your hand real quick. I need to change something. Something big, something small, that's not the, that's not the point. It's that you know you need to change something, right? God, you see our hands. You know our hearts. Lord, we've got to see you do something here. We've got to see you completely um, change the way we think and feel and believe. 
Lord, that as we look in the mirror, that we realize things need to be different. That as we look at ourselves and analyze what's going on, we know things have to be different. So, God, we ask you to help us. Holy Spirit, we know that you're bigger than what we're doing. So we ask you to help us to, to, to see it and to begin to change it. Lord, if it's a sin issue, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We repent. If it's just bad decisions, Lord, we ask you to help us to see it and change it. Lord, we know, we know this is your plan. We know this is your will, that we should change these things and we should have the right decisions. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We just lay ourselves before you. In Romans 12, we, be, we just put ourselves on the altar, that you're the one that's in charge. So, God, for every one of us here, help us to see, help us to see the importance of, of, of making this decision right now. That, God, I'm going to change this. Situations at work, situations in our marriage, our family, I'm going to change this. And that Jesus, you're the king. Jesus, you're the king. And I think you ask him. I think you've got to ask him personally in your, in your own personal walk with the Lord. You've got to ask him. Jesus, this is the issue. I need your help. I ask you to help me change this. This has got to be from you, and it's got to be, you know, the truthful and spirit and the truth mentality. It's got to come from your spirit, and it's got to be truth. I want to change. I want this to be different. I want to have a different trajectory in this arena of my life. God, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you. God, help us to walk out of here forgiven on the right direction and not being condemned, not being held back by our own issues, by our own insecurities. But, Lord, help us to know you have forgiven us, you are walking with us, and we can make the right decisions. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so we do have um, opportunity to get to know the showers after they're um, at the table. They've got their bookmarks with the information on them on there for you to pray for them, keep them in your mind, in your heart. If you want to give financially, um, let us know that. You can give through the church. You can